Connection Churches podcast. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Everybody good? Good? Somebody behind me? Oh, okay. Yeah, hey, uh, first this morning, I want to take just a second and introduce you to some people, or, or really let them introduce you uh, to themselves to you. So, see, Ivy already messed it up. It's no big deal, I promise. Um, and so I wanted to, to introduce these folks to you briefly and then let them tell you their name and what they do in the church. But these are all of our interns. And um, you, you don't see them a lot. Um, they're not always out front. But I can't tell you how much they do for Connection Church. One of the best things that we've ever done is started our intern program. And I can tell you it's not because of um, just of what they do. And we just broke a $2,000 guitar. That's okay. Can we pass the bucket some more time? We got to get... Another guitar. Um, but anyway, uh, but, but the best thing about it is we get to know these young men and women. And you hear so much about how um, you go to college and you fall off the deep end. And, and I'm just so thankful um, that even my children have the opportunity to watch these folks live their life and live for God. Um, such a great influence, and I just wanted to take a second and let them introduce themselves to you, let them tell you what area they work in. Hey, I'm Lizzie. Is this on? Okay, hey, I'm Lizzie, and I'm the discipleship intern. I'm Ivy, and I'm also the discipleship intern. I'm Ansley, and I'm a discipleship intern. I'm Sarah, and I'm a discipleship intern. I'm Kelsey, and I'm a children's ministry intern. I'm Miranda, and I'm a Connection Kids intern. I'm Lindsay, and I work with Connection Kids. I'm Drew, and I'm a creative intern. <laughs> I'm Justin, and I'm a 212 intern. I'm Casey, and I'm also a 212 intern. I'm Will, and I'm a creative intern. And I'm Ryan, and I'm a creative intern. All right. Let's give them one more hand, guys. I thought we'd just let them stand back here, and I told them if they heard anything I said that they liked, that they could clap, and I just thought it'd be something new. But we really do appreciate you guys. I'm very thankful for you. I'm so glad I get to know you, and uh, all your different personalities bring so much to the office. When y'all aren't around, it's kind of like just quiet, and all us old people don't really have nearly as much fun. So we're very thankful for you, and I uh, just want to say that again, and uh, you probably never know how much, and probably never know how much of a kingdom impact you're making, but we do thank you for all you do. All right, let's go. All right, well, we are going to continue the All In uh, series today where we've been talking about what it looks like to be all in. Uh, when we're all in for Jesus, we believe there are, are, are four things that each one of us will uh, do. And, and we believe there's four things that every church um, that is, is really pursuing Christ and really um, uh, living out the gospel will do. And those four things are serving, community, evangelism, and generosity. And what we've seen in this church is that when all four of those things are strong, when all four of those cultures are working together, we really begin to see the church fulfill the potential um, that God gave it. And we really begin to see the church do what Jesus told us the church would do when he said that it would prevail and not even the gates of hell uh, would prevail against it. And so um, we're excited about this series. We've enjoyed it. How many of you got to hear Bo last week, last week talking about serving? What an awesome job that he did. I'm very thankful for him. Um, 
and, and him sharing that and the way God used him, a very humble man. And so uh, awesome to see how uh, God's worked in his life. And I know that the best is yet to come for the ministry God's going to do in and through uh, Bo. And so today, though, we're going to be looking at evangelism and, and looking at uh, this culture of evangelism, how God's called us to go out and reach the lost. We know that Jesus came uh, and he, he came to seek and save that which was lost. It's very clear um, in scripture that that's what God's called us to. Um, and so today, that's what we're going to be looking at. I want to go ahead and give you a heads up that on September 28th, we're going to be doing baptisms that day out here in the parking lot. It's going to be awesome. Baptism days are so cool, so awesome. Um, but it's also a day that we want to encourage you um, to do what we're going to talk about a little bit today, to encourage you that over the next few weeks to be investing in people that you know are unchurched, the church, maybe they don't know the Lord, um, to invite that day. Um, we're we're going to just preach the gospel and we're praying. And, and this is a big thing too. Don't just invest and invite, but pray that God does something incredible that day and that we would see a multitude of people be saved, right? Um, I, how cool would it be that one day that we were able to reach people um, to the, the, to the ultimate impact that we see on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 people were saved. I don't know why that can't happen again, right? And so let's be praying on September 28th that we would see God do incredible things. And it all really begins with you investing in inviting people. Um, and listen, if you can lead them to Christ before September 28th, don't wait, like go ahead and do that. Um, and so, uh, but, but that day we really wanna be praying and really asking God to do something awesome in this place as we do every Sunday. We just wanna make that an emphasis on that day. So, uh, all right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter one. We're going to read verse 8, and then we're going to get going here this morning, Acts chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible before you leave here today, and we will do that at the guest services table out the back. We'd love to give you a Bible if you don't have one. Um, Acts 1 verse 8 says this, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time, God. I thank you that you did send your spirit. God, when you ascended, you sent the fullness of the spirit, not just on those first disciples, but God, upon every person and within every person who proclaims the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And today, God, my heart today, God, is that you would just fill us to overflowing, God. Um, just fill us so much that we are overflowing and yet desperate for more of you. God, let us just hunger and thirst for righteousness because we know, God, that those will be filled. Lord, speak to us through your word today. Let us hear you. God, we acknowledge that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings, that you rule and reign above everything. Rule and reign in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you have ever been on a trip that seemed like it might not ever end, or a journey yeah, where you were just riding and you thought, maybe this thing's never going to end, right? How many of you have ever resisted the temptation to stop and ask for directions? Can I get an amen from somebody up in here today, right? How many of you have ever gotten mad at a GPS, 
When it was talking to you. Recalculating. 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 Right? Yeah, yeah. How many of you have ever yelled at a GPS for that saying that? Yeah, I have too. Um, One day we were going to a Braves game and we passed Turner Field four times. It was like um, um, European vacation when they're riding around Big Ben and he's like, look kids, Big Ben. And then he rides back around and he's like, look kids, Big Ben. That's what we were like. I was like, look kids, Turner Field. Look kids, Turner Field. They were like, wouldn't it be good if we went to Turner Field dad? I'm like, shut up, you know? And so, yeah. And sometimes it seems like a journey won't end, but here's the thing, every journey comes to an end. And, and here's the other thing I've noticed about history is every movement, every great movement that gets started, they all come to an end at some point, don't they? Every journey, every movement, at some point it comes to an end, except for one, right? And that's the movement that Jesus started. It's the movement that God really began before the foundations of the earth were ever laid. It's the gospel movement. It's this movement of God to bring his people back to himself, to create a people who live in fellowship with him. And and as we look at the book of Acts, many times it's easy to go to the book of Acts and look at it as a history book. But what I want you to see the book of Acts as today is a continuation of what Jesus began. Because we read the verse that tells us that we're to go and we're to go and make um, disciples. We're to go and, uh, from Jerusalem to Judea, um, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, that we would receive power to be able to do this. And what I want you to see in this is that God's called us to continue. It is almost as if we're still writing chapters of the book of Acts, right? Now, not as if there's scripture, but this story is continuing to be written. In fact, if you read the last chapter of Acts, it sort of just ends and you're kind of like, that can't be the last chapter. Why? Because God is still writing. He's still adding chapters, not in the scriptural sense, but in the gospel sense of this movement does not stop, but it continues. I want you to see this as we go up. We're going to work back to Acts chapter or or verse eight. I want you to look at the very beginning of this chapter in verse one. It says this, this is Luke um, writing this uh, to a man by the name of Theophilus. Don't name your child Theophilus. You could, but it's just kind of a weird name. In, in verse one, it says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus, listen, began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And so here we see that Luke is very clear. And when he wrote the gospel of Luke, he's saying, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. But as he begins to write this second book, what he's doing is he's writing what Jesus continued to do. Here's something that's really different about Christianity than any other religion. And that is this, every other founder of any major religion, their ministry happened from the time they were born to the time that they died. Isn't it cool? Isn't it amazing that the greatest part of Jesus's ministry happened after his death? Why is that? It's because he did what he promised he would do. One, he did die on a cross. Two, he did take our sin upon himself. Three, he did become an appropriate sacrifice that could take the sin off of us, put it on himself and be punished so that we wouldn't have to. Four, he did get put in a tomb. Five, he did come out of that tomb three days later. And six, he did ascend to heaven. He does sit at the right hand of the Father and he did what he promised when he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us and empower us to continue this mission. The way that the Christianity has continued over the de- or centuries, um, over the millennia, right? It's a miracle of God that Jesus is doing his greatest ministry now in our time. 
rather than later. See, this is something that is continuous. Why Luke could say Jesus began to do and to teach because Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is still doing and he's still teaching. He promised that the Spirit would be our teacher. And he says he did this until the day he was taken up to heaven. And it says this, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Here's another thing I want you to see today because this is very important. You've been chosen. Now the the scriptures we're reading, they specifically apply to the apostles. There are no more big A apostles. These people who spent all their life with Jesus, they saw him from the time he was baptized to the time he ascended into heaven. Um, They were gifted in special ways. Um, Not all of us have these gifts, some some of the gifts of the spirit, like you don't write scripture. If you sit down and say, yeah, God spoke this to my heart. We don't put it in the Bible because you're not an apostle, right? Um, So these people are special, but in this text, There's a lot of things we can still learn about our own calling. And one of them is that we've been chosen. You've been chosen by Jesus. You've been chosen for a purpose. How many of you remember when you were a child and you got chosen on the playground? Maybe it was kickball. Maybe it was, you know, wiffle ball. How many of you were ever chosen last? How'd that feel? Like you didn't even care if you were chosen next to last. Like you'd be, there'd be two of you, they'd call your name, you'd be like, yes, right? Just because you weren't the last one, right? And so here's the thing though, it's like you were chosen last. And, and, and why were you chosen last? Because you were really good. Let me just say that you were really good and that's why they chose. No, I, I have a friend who told me one day, he was like, we were talking about baseball and he goes, yeah. He said, I didn't play baseball long, but when I did play, my coach told me he put me in right field because I had a really good arm. <laughs> I broke the news to him. I don't know if I should have, but I said, you didn't play right field because you had a really good arm. Well, why did I play right field? Because he weren't very good, right? And so I told him, and, and, and he was like, oh, dang. And like for 25 years, he had lived with, anyway. <laughs> he's getting counseling, we're paying for it. It's all good now. But it was, it was about being chosen. And, and so when we were chosen mattered. Here's the thing that's awesome about God is when he chooses us, he's already seen a gift in us that he wants to use. It doesn't matter when you're chosen. It doesn't matter if you think you're gifted or not. But when God chose you, he saw something in you that he wants to use. He wants to send his spirit into to take that gift that he's going to put in you so that you can then fulfill the role he's created you to fulfill. There's not one person in here who, when you're in Christ, does not have a role to fulfill, does not have a part to play in bringing other people into the kingdom of God that doesn't have a part to play in introducing people to Jesus. Every one of us have a part to play because listen, if you're in Christ, you've been chosen by God to be a part of this mission. Listen to verse three. He says, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. See, that verse is huge as well because he showed himself to these men. This was a part of them having uh, to be an apostle. They had to see the resurrected Christ. But here's the thing, even though we won't be a big A apostle, the reality of it is we have to encounter the risen Christ. As we come to Christ, listen, we don't become a Christian without meeting the risen Christ. I'm not telling you he walks into your bedroom at 2 a.m. and stands over your bed and goes, bless you, my child. I'm not telling you that. 
But I am telling you that there is an encounter with the living God and, and there is a, a imparting of the spirit of God into our hearts that begins to change our heart, gives us a new heart, takes our bent away from sin, doesn't mean we're perfect, but gives us a desire to live a different way and sets our heart on fire to be put on mission for God. It happens when we meet this risen Jesus, because when you meet him, you realize not only that you've been chosen, but verse four, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. When you meet him, you realize not only have you been chosen, but you've been given a command to go. You've been commissioned, Matthew 28, right? 18 through 20, that Jesus said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything. And, And he teaches us that we're, been, we've been commissioned, we go, we meet him, and then we realize just as they were commanded to wait to receive the Holy Spirit, he also sent them and he commissioned them to go. Listen to the rest of this down into verse eight. He says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when John the Baptist came on the scene and he began to preach? He foretold this, right? Before, um, before uh, Jesus um, began really doing all of the ministry he would do, he said, listen, this is the thing. I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming. I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals. There's one who's coming who's not gonna just baptize you with water, but he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's gonna set your heart on fire. He's gonna give you a new heart so that no longer are you just out of your own effort trying to live by this letter of the law, but he's gonna give you a heart that is for God so that no longer will your lips proclaim God, but your heart's being far from God, but you will actually have a heart that longs for God. And so he tells them that they're gonna receive this spirit. And so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're thinking this political kingdom still coming. They don't realize that God is setting up a spiritual kingdom. They're thinking that he's still going to establish this new kingdom. And listen to what Jesus says. He says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father set by his own authority. He's saying, listen, it's important for you to have your mind on the heavenly things, but don't forget that right now you still need to be concerned with things on earth as well. Don't be so focused on this heavenly kingdom that you forget that we're building a kingdom here on earth through the message of the gospel and through the power of the spirit. And so he says, it's not for you to know these days. Just listen, the, the date he comes back, that's important and it's gonna be a great day, but I don't know that, you don't know that. He says, but in the meantime, this is what you need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The last thing I would tell you out of that text is this, that when you meet him, the the resurrected Christ, and you say, yes, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my savior. I confess you with my lips. I, I believe you in my heart. Then this is what happens. You begin to be commissioned and you begin to be sent and the spirit that Jesus promised begins to indwell you and it begins to set you on a different course that your life's to be lived. He begins to move you in a different direction. He begins to take you because see, I want you to understand something about the spirit of God. This is something I'm still learning. This is something I'm still growing in and I'm still recognizing. 
but it's this inner witness of God, the Holy Spirit, that says you are His. It's this inner witness of the Spirit of God that tells you you have this mission. And it's the inner witness of the Spirit of God in you that tells you that He'll empower you to do all things that He's called you to. And this is the great news of this. It is the witness of the Spirit of God. It's why the Bible can say that He is the seal of the Holy Spirit. He seals us until the day of redemption. It's why the Bible calls Him a deposit until the day of redemption. What does a deposit do? It's a down payment on what's to come later. The Spirit in us is that. So that even when our mind says you're not worthy of the love of God, the Spirit in us speaks a better word over us and says you're His son. It's an everlasting love. We talked about that this morning at a prayer time before service. It's an everlasting love. It's a 24-7 love. It's a love that he's with you always. When you feel lovable and even when you're not lovable, that that God is there. Even when you think you've run so far from him, his spirit is able to run you down. I know this from my own life. I thought I'd outrun God. I thought I'd outrun God. I thought I'd gotten far away from God, so far away from God that he could never, never, ever possibly reach me. And when I came to the end of me and I turned around, it was like, right, he was right there. God loves us with an everlasting love. He empowers us. He gives us this inner witness that says, you are mine. Gives us this identity that tells us whose we are. See, Jesus was clear. I want you to get this. Jesus was clear about our mission. Jesus was clear about the commission he gave us that we were to go and make disciples of all nations, that we were to go Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, meaning from, from, from where we are all the way out, that we don't stop until every nation has heard the gospel. And he's called us to do that. But he told us we can't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens in church many times is the Holy Spirit becomes like crazy cousin Eddie, right? Like he just shows up and things go haywire. And so we don't even really know. Listen, the Holy Spirit is God. He's not it. He's He. It's God with us. It's why Jesus could say, it's better for me that I go away from you. Why? Because unless I go away from you, the Spirit can't come. And so when the Spirit is in us, when the Spirit has come with us, it's God in us. Why was it better? I always wondered, like, how can it be better than having Jesus, like, as my roommate? How could that possibly be better? It's because I have God in me. I have God in me to do more through me than I could ever do on my own. And when I abide in that, that's when the fruit begins to be produced. And I want you to see this. I want us as a church to go as God wants us to go. I want us to be on mission as God wants us to be on mission. As the pastor of the church, there's certain ways I feel that God has laid it out for us to go. And I want to run through these real quick with you. And I want you to see these um, because I believe this is what the Spirit does in us as we um, begin to follow Christ, as we meet the resurrected Christ, as the Spirit comes in us, and as we begin to fan the Spirit into flame through our prayer, through our word, through our fellowship. See, fellowship in the church, biblical fellowship, is not us getting together and everybody bringing a dish. That's awesome. That's cool to get together. Nothing wrong with that. It's great. Biblical fellowship is when we get together and we share what God's doing in our lives. And we begin to sharpen one another. 
and you sit around and you begin to excite the other person because listen, listen to what God did today. Listen to what God did last week. Listen to what God showed me in the word. And we begin to build each other up in that way. It's not just a covered dish dinner. It's fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. That's what we strive for in connect groups. That's why these are so important. We want you not just getting together and talking about the message. We want you talking about what God's speaking to you, showing you and how you're applying that to your life. How is God growing you? That's biblical fellowship when we grow one another up through the power of the Spirit working through each one of us. And so as we go and the Spirit begins to move in us, there's a few things that I believe begin to happen. Um, The first one is this. I believe that as the Spirit works in us, that we begin to go passionately after the lost. I believe that found people find people. I believe that, that people who have been saved have a heart that burns with passion to reach other people. How many of you are passionate about something? right? You got something you're passionate about. I wanted to show you today a few things that I am passionate about, really passionate about. All right. Here's the first one right here. Can I get an amen? Right. They say that there is a great banquet in heaven. I hope that that is there. Right. Number two, Praise God in glory, right? Praise God in heaven. And those look, those aren't crinkle cuts. Nuh-uh, steak fries. The best, especially when they are cut out of the potatoes and put in the grease. Amen, do y'all see a, a, a food theme here? The next one is, can I get some of this? Hey, at least we're tired, tied for the last wild card place. I know we're terrible this year, but hey. I know we got guys making $15 million that are barely hitting over 200. Still love them. I made it through the 80s. I'll make it through 2014, right? All right, the next one is this. Come on. You got to love that. Not taking pictures of them, right? I eat meat, right? Yep. Look at Bambi. Look at Bambi fall, right? I mean... See Bambi run, see Bambi stumble. I mean, I don't know, it's probably not good. Some of y'all probably won't ever come back. But anyway, I believe we're supposed to subdue the earth and take over it, so anyway, all right. Anyway, all right, but how about some other things that you might be passionate about, right? How about this, anybody passionate about this? Check this out, oh, come on ladies, whoop whoop, right? Get some Target, how about this one? Ah, nice little book on the beach. Right? There you go. How about this one? Anybody? Right? You remember the Terminator? I'm not a NASCAR fan. I don't really get into that. But anyway, I figured some of you would. How about this? Okay, that was a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. That was a joke. But, but this one's not. This one's not a joke. Check this out. Georgia Southern football. Anybody? Yeah. They played some high school from Savannah yesterday. I'm not sure who that was. But anyway, I was thinking about this because these are things that we're really passionate about. And I was thinking like we should be passionate about the gospel. And I started thinking, why are we passionate about these things? And I came up with just a few things that I believe make us passionate about them. For one, they bring us some level of joy, right? We find some level of joy in, in hunting or the Braves or shopping um, at Target, which I have to lock our accounts when we drive by Target. It's somehow like 
hundreds of dollars to start, you know? And, and, and so we find some level of joy. Another thing that they do is that they satisfy some desire in us, don't they? They seem to satisfy a desire that we have. Um, another one is that they inspire us, right? How many of you, even if you didn't play football um, coming up in high school or college or whatever, but you go to a game and Georgia Southern runs onto the field and you're like, I wanna play, right? You know, you want helmets and shoulder pads because you feel like I could do this. They inspire us, they do something in us. In many cases, they give us a sense of purpose. Like they make us feel that we're a part of something bigger than us. And the, the last one is this. In many cases, they give us a sense of identity, don't they? It's why, like, we wear hats. Like, I have a Braves hat, right? I, I feel like I'm a part of the team. Like, like, when we go to the game and we're like, we're not hitting very good. Well, it's not like, no, they're not hitting. Like, you didn't swing, right? You're not in the game. But it gives us a sense of identity. It puts us sense of identity in us. It's why we wear the, 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 we put the car stickers on our car. We got the window flags like with the eagles or the bulldogs or whoever you pull for flapping outside our windows. That's why grown men wear other men's names on the back of their shirts. I don't get it. But whatever, you know, if you like, if you do that kind of thing, it's okay. But I'm just saying, it brings some sense of identity. But here's the thing I want you to understand. All of those things we should ultimately be found in Jesus. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But the ultimate joy, the ultimate sense of satisfaction, the ultimate inspiration, how can you not be inspired to look at the cross of an innocent man who gave his life so that we could have life? Right? The, the, the ultimate inspiration, um, and, and the, the greatest sense of purpose, right? Making an eternal difference, making ripples in the world that continue forever. And the greatest sense of identity that you and I, even though we're sinners, even though we fall, even though we stumble, have been declared righteous by a holy God, not because of anything that we've done, but because of the righteousness we've received through Jesus Christ. That's the greatest identity we could have and it creates a passion in me. Sometimes people will be like, I wish I had the passion like you have on Sunday. I don't just wake up in the morning and I'm like, I love Jesus. Right? I mean, I, I go to God. I pray. God set my heart on fire. Transform my heart that everything would begin to fade. Don't make me so heavenly minded that I'm no spiritual, no earthly good. But set my heart on fire for you and for those who are far from you. The second thing I would tell you is that we should go compassionately. Because see, here's the thing that begins to happen. If we just go passionately, many times that turns into zeal and that can very quickly turn into a self-righteousness. It becomes all about us. How many of you have ever heard of hedonism or being a hedonist? It's when everything is about you. It is literally the pursuit of pleasure and sensual self-indulgence. And many times when we come to Christ, when we come to religion, we just take this secular hedonism and we bring it into Christianity or whatever other religion that it's about and we make it about us. I've even, I just think there's a book out that's called Christian Hedonist because we take the faith and it becomes still about us. So we just transfer the man-centeredness of our regular life and we put it into religion when in reality, it's not about us. It is about us because God would have died for you if you were the only person. 
But at the end of the day, there's something greater. It doesn't end with you. See, we're not a dam of the Holy Spirit that we stop him. We are a conduit of the Holy Spirit from which he flows through. And so he keeps moving and he keeps working through us. And the crazy thing is, the less it becomes about us, the more joy we find in the journey. And the way we realize that it is truly more blessed to give than it is to receive. See, the gospel shatters this self-righteousness because we realize how crippled we are by sin and that we can never do anything to make ourselves righteousness. It shatters hedonism because we realize that there's a greater call and there's a greater pleasure than self-seeking satisfaction that is shallow and temporary and never lasts. Because here's the thing, Georgia Southern won yesterday, 496 to negative 20, right? But what happens if they get beat next week, right? Then we're all pouting, right? There's a, there's a joy and there's a satisfaction that's greater even, yes, than college football, I promise. And so we have to realize this. I, I started studying the word compassionate this week. And, and what I found is that the word calm comes from a, 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 a um, Latin word that means with or co, with or co. And then I realized that passion is a derivative of a Latin word that meant patient. And so here's what happens when you put it all together. It literally means a co-sufferer, a co-patient. It's, it's greater than empathy where you look at someone and you say, man, I hate they're in that situation. It's going a step further, or as Jesus said, it's walking the extra mile and entering into that place with them. It's being willing to walk with them through that. And that is how we should go evangelistically. Well, you know, that wouldn't be happening to them if they weren't, weren't, weren't a sinner and they knew Jesus. Well, how about let's say, you know what? I could very easily be that same person. Why don't we realize that Jesus loves them, enter into their world for a little bit, walk a few miles in their shoes and show them the love of Christ. Why don't we show them there's something different about us, not because we're all that, but because God is all that and he's put all that in us, right? And so we begin to see this, we begin to realize this. And the love of God begins to compel us, to move us. And it's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, he says, we're compelled by the love of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 20 and he says, I implore you, literally, I beg you, be reconciled to God. See, Paul wasn't just passionate, he was also compassionate. He didn't just go passionately with a bunch of zeal, he also went with a compassion that even when people doubted his apostleship, his calling, even when they said he was greedy and he wouldn't take money, they, they called him greedy because he wouldn't take money. What? He knew I have a greater identity than that. He knew, listen, there's something in me that says I love you no matter what you tell me. Listen, if, if you get into ministry because you think everybody's gonna love you, you're in the wrong thing. Right? I thought that. No. But you know what? I still love you. Christians can be some of the most cruel people on the face of the planet. But you know what? I love you. You can send me emails. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to delete the email and then I'm going to kick the wall and then I'm going to love you. Right? I'm going to delete the email. I'm going to throw the chair and then I'm going to love you. Because God puts this in us. We have to fight for that. We have to work for that. The third thing that we do is we go, we go urgently. I heard a pastor say this one time and it stuck with me. He said, time is short, eternity is long and hell is high, right? Time is short, eternity is long and hell is hot. That ought to light a fire under us, right? 
And so we go, I had a guy come by my office one time and he brought me a book and he said, I want you to read this book, pastor. And I said, okay, why? He said, it'll create a sense of urgency in you to reach the lost. Okay, he said, do you promise me you'll read it? I said, no. He said, well, why not? I said, because if I can read this book and not have a sense of urgency to reach the lost, that book ain't gonna do it. Because this creates a sense of urgency when I begin to realize this. We go with a message that others need. Listen, we can't love Jesus more and love other people less. How loving is it for us to hold the key to life and never share it with anybody else? We go urgently. The fourth one is we go desperately. Think about how desperate these first believers were in the book of Acts. Jesus said, go and wait. See, they knew they could do nothing apart from the spirit of God. They didn't know what this was gonna look like. They didn't know how it was gonna play out. I don't think they knew that um, 11 of the 12 were gonna die martyrs' deaths. I don't think they knew any of that, but what they did know is we've been given a mission and we can't do it without the power of the spirit of God. And so they were desperate. I can't tell you how much my heart beats, how much my heart aches for people to be desperate for God. I just, I just want people to be desperate for God. I just want people. And what does that look like? It means we just cry out to God. It doesn't mean you have to walk through Walmart going, oh, oh God. But in your prayer time, God, I need you. Riding down the road, God, I need you. God, I worship you. I love you, God. Fill me again. Flow through me, Holy Spirit. Come, God. Invade my home. Invade my car. Just... Flood me, Lord. Give me eyes to see what you see. Let me experience you more. Confirm me in who I am so that I can do what you've called me to do. Confirm me in who I am so that I can be who you've called me to be. Let me experience you and know you. See, you don't wait for things you aren't desperate for. You don't. Anybody ever gone down to the DMV because you just wanted to have a good day? Why'd you go? Because you want to drive. Nobody's like, come on, family, let's roll down here and let's just hang out, right? You don't do that. You can get some sermon illustrations, but that's about the only other reason you would go. You want to drive. You are desperate because you want to drive. How about going to the doctor? It's funny, like at the doctor, you can't be 10 minutes late, but you can wait for two hours. You know what I'm saying? Why do you go? Because the doctor has something you need. The doctor can do for you something that you can't do for yourself. The doctor has a way of healing you that you can't provide. There's a prescription that will work and that brings healing to your life that you can't write. It's the same way with God. If we will wait on the Holy Spirit, not meaning in activity, but a crying out, a longing for, there are things that God will do in us that we can't do for ourselves. There's things that God will heal in us that we can't heal for ourselves. You can read all the, the Oprah books and watch the Oprah Winfrey Network. I don't even know if that's still on. And you can, you can watch all of these things. You can read the self-help books. You can find the books that are your best life now. Heresy, don't read it. You can do all of that stuff, right? There's things that only God can do in you. And if we will become hungry and we will cry out and we will long for God. If we will hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. It's in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6. My heart is that you would long for the Spirit and not just for 
selfish reasons long for the Spirit, that He would transform our hearts and begin to move us on this mission. Listen, I know there are things that happen in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. I mean, I can honestly say this. I've never seen like tongues of fire on anybody's head. Never seen that in my life. I've never been in a prayer time where a rushing wind came through and it was just like, right? So I'm like, well, I've never, I've never had that happen. But I can tell you this. I have seen people filled with the Spirit of God becoming bold in their witness. I have seen people filled with the Spirit of God who were selfish and began to live selfless. These things, listen, all of the ways and the, 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 that this happens in Acts chapter two and through the book of Acts, there may be some things we never see, but the thing that I can promise you, you will see is that as we are filled and we're constantly filled with the Spirit of God, we will begin to see a greater boldness. We will begin to understand our mission. We will begin to understand our identity and we will begin to do what God created us to do in the first place. I want you to see this. So number four, desperately. Number five, and this is the last one and we're gonna wrap this up. But number five is gratefully, gratefully. This is huge. I was thinking about this and and there's a scripture I wanna read you real quick and then we're gonna land the plane here. But it's in Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. It says this, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. That's important. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Just a quick little point. There are many of us who want Jesus to tell us the next thing to do when we still haven't done the thing he already told us, right? They were healed on their way. If God's already told you one thing and you haven't done it, why would he tell you something else, right? Some of us need to take our next step today and become obedient. That might be getting in a connect group. It might be becoming generous. It might be beginning to share your testimony of what God's done in your life. Whatever that might be, you need to take that next step. I'm encouraging you, take that next step. Number five, or verse 15, one of them came back when he saw he was healed. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. He was a foreigner. He was a foreigner despised by Jews and yet bowing at the feet of a Jewish rabbi. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. See, I want you to understand that our sin was just like these leprous spots on these 10 lepers. They had separated them from worship. They had separated them from God. They couldn't go into the temple. They couldn't have any sort of true relationships. As the Bible says, they were foreigners. They were all together. The only reason Samaritans and Jews were hanging out is because they were all outcasts. And see, here's the thing we need to understand that our sin was just as devastating, even more devastating because it has eternal weight um, than these leprous spots and this disease that was ravaging these men. And what began to happen is they began to cry out to Jesus and Jesus healed them and made them well. The amazing thing is these men were given back their lives 
And only one came back and said, thank you. Only one was grateful and fell on his knees to worship Jesus. You know, sometimes I think it's easy for us in church to become like those nine Jewish men, somehow entitled to the love and the grace of God so that everything we do begins to be done either out of a sense of tradition or out of a sense of guilt. I want you to hear my heart in this. I never want you to do anything out of a sense of guilt. I want you to do it out of a sense of gratitude. I want you to come back to this place if you are in Christ, to that moment, that time when Jesus healed your leprous spots of sin and he made you whole and he brought you into a fellowship that you were a foreigner to and you never had any possibility of coming into, but because of what he did on a cross, because he came and left heaven and came to earth and gave up his rights as God, taking your sin upon himself, being punished for it, taking God's wrath so that you don't have to, that, that he did this for you, that you were cleansed and made whole and made white as snow, even healed of the sin and, and, and the conditions that we had brought upon ourselves. And I want you to see this. I want you to understand this. I want you to go on this mission, not because the preacher said, we got to go tell somebody about Jesus. I want you to go because of what God's done for you. I want you to go because of what Jesus did for you. I want you to serve, not because you've got to serve to be a good Christian. That's, that's, that's works-based salvation. You're saved because of faith. You serve because of what God's done in your heart. I don't want you to write a check on Sunday because you're like, oh, I don't write a check and make me feel guilty. I don't, you, you don't ever write a check. Listen, Jesus will take care of us. I want you to give because of all that God's given. Doesn't the gift of grace call us to give back to God? Not just a little bit, but everything. I want you to do, I want you to go, I want you to be, I want you to give because of grace. I want you to give because of gratitude. I want our church to be filled with this foreign leper who fell at Jesus' feet. I want us to come, I want us to worship. You know, the first step of that is saying yes, is crying out to Jesus. And there's some people here, you've never cried out and said, Jesus, cleanse me. Send your spirit in me to give me a new heart, to give me a new direction, to give me a new way, to give me hope. It goes beyond circumstances and doctor's reports and how my job's going and how many bills I've got to pay. That inner witness that says everything's gonna be okay even when it's not okay. There's some people you've never said that. Now today, here's the reality. Jesus is offering it. He's inviting it. He's saying all you've gotta do is say yes. And I'm asking you to do that. I'm imploring you, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 20. I'm begging you, be reconciled to God. It doesn't mean your life's going to be easy but it does mean it's gonna have a whole lot more purpose.
desperate for you. Empower us. Fill us that we can go emboldened, compassionate, compassionate, urgently, desperately, and gratefully. We love you, Lord. It's an awesome